Welcome to the Holy Cross Sermon Podcast. This whole year we're exploring the life and teachings of Jesus in the book of Luke. We're in a series called Kingdom Life. We are looking at how Jesus taught believers to live. Join us now as we dive into another passage. Will you please pray with me? Now, Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you. Amen. Please be seated. Having lived on Daniel Island for over five years now and having worked in the East Cooper area for almost 20 years since I moved from England in 2002, there's a few things I've noticed about the area that perhaps you've noticed too. Number one, there seem to be more and more storage units. Have you noticed the proliferation of storage units everywhere? And this is actually backed up by the following statistics I found. One in 11 Americans pays an average of $91.14 per month to use self-storage, finding a place for the material overflow of the American dream. According to Square, uh, sorry, Sparefoot, a company that tracks the self-storage industry, the United States boasts more than 50,000 facilities and roughly 2.311 billion square feet of rentable space. In other words, the volume of self-storage units in the country could fill the Hoover Dam with old clothing, skis, and keepsakes more than 26 times. Isn't that incredible? We love to accumulate stuff like nobody else in the world. We are consumed by consumption. Second thing I've noticed is that people in East Cooper like to move regularly. In particular, I've noticed on Daniel Island. To clarify, I'm not talking about the obvious fact that people are moving here rapidly from all over the country, right? We can all see that happening. No, it's that once people move here, they like to move again and again. Now, you may say that's not all that unusual, but these folks like to do it within a few miles or so of their current home. One or two of you are sat in this room right now, I know. (laughs) And again, you may say, that's understandable. It's a nice place to live after all, so why not stay local? But I wonder, is it just about liking the area or is there something that's cultivated in us this sort of a certain level of dissatisfaction uh, and so we're unable to be content perhaps with what we have? And the third thing I've noticed is that people like to buy toys. Now, I'm not talking about kids' toys, although we certainly do buy kids' toys, right? We've got a ton of those in the Bennett household. No, what I'm talking about is grown-up toys, whether it's the latest golf cart, right, or the new boat for the river, or the enormous digital TV, or the new set of golf clubs, or the latest sports or exercise equipment, we like our expensive toys. And I am guilty of this one as well. Now, many of us have plenty of disposable income to buy these things. Yes, we love our stuff. We love it, right? And we like to have a lot of it. In fact, our culture tends to celebrate this kind of lifestyle. Yes, you know, there is the tiny home movement, right? You may have seen the shows on TV, but let's be honest, these people are the outliers, right? They're not in the mainstream. These are the crazy minority. They're fun to watch, but they are absolutely terrifying to imitate. (laughs) Well, while the culture we live in may teach us one thing, in other words, accumulate more, what does Scripture teach us about money and possessions? And in particular, what does Jesus say? We're spending the year going through the Gospel of Luke, and we're in a series called Kingdom Life. We've come to a section on money now. You see, Jesus knows that if there's one thing that people will always struggle with, it's our wealth. It's just always going to happen. And so he speaks about it a lot. 
And in today's reading from Luke's gospel, we encounter one of these passages. Jesus is once again teaching about the kingdom. And it looks a lot different than any earthly kingdom that we will ever encounter. This is the upside down kingdom of God that we keep talking about. Our culture might say things like family first or God helps those who help themselves or make sure you accumulate your wealth. But in God's upside down kingdom, others come before family. And God helps those who cannot help themselves. And we're told to invest in our eternal future. Today we'll see that in God's kingdom, the key to having what we truly need is in giving away what we've already been given. The key in having what we truly need is in giving away what we've already been given. So let's turn to our gospel reading for today. You're welcome to pull out your phones or your Bibles if you want to look that up. It is from Luke chapter 12, beginning at verse 22. And we'll have it up on the screen as well for you if you just want to look at that. And let's see what God would say to those who have ears to hear. The first thing we'll see is that Christians trust in God's provision. Number one, Christians trust in God's provision. Verse 22, and Jesus said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. First of all, followers of Jesus, his disciples, are not to worry about whether or not they will have enough money. God will provide for them. And Jesus alludes to this in verses 33 and 34 of our passage, uh, that even if people give away their money, as he encourages them to do, he is still going to provide for them. Now, most of, like most things that are countercultural, things we're not used to, it's hard to believe this until you've actually experienced it for yourself. And I've been blessed to witness this firsthand in my own life and to see it in the lives of others as well. God provided for my parents to go out into the mission field, every penny they needed. God provided for me that I might go to Bible college and study youth ministry. God provided for me that I might go to seminary when I didn't have a penny to my name. And God has provided for me over the last 18 years, most of them in the East Cooper area, to be able to afford to live here. And all the while I've been able to give regularly and generously of my income. Now, were there stressful moments during this time? Absolutely. But did they grow my faith as I trusted God in them? I think those moments grew my faith the most of all. Jesus is teaching me, or has been teaching me, that I do not need to be anxious. And to illustrate this point further to all who will listen, Jesus gives some examples from nature in our reading. You can probably see them right there. And for those of you who've seen Monty Python's Life of Brian, uh, it's a movie. It's hard not to imagine Brian here stumbling through Jesus' teaching as he's trying to hide from the Romans. Consider the lilies, he says. Consider the lilies, says one of the puzzled onlookers. Well, the birds then. Consider the birds. What birds? Any birds. Well, they've got jobs. Who? The birds? The birds have got jobs? What's the matter with him? And so on until Brian gives up. But what Jesus teaches, far better than Brian, is that if God loves plants and animals as much as he does then consider how much he loves his dear children, you and me. Verse 24, consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? 
As one commentator puts it, only we, his children, can call him father because we bear his image. And because of this, we are more mysterious and complex than anything the Hubble telescope will ever see. We are even more enduring than any young star. And if we know him, we have double paternity. He is our father creator and our father regenerator. So why should we ever worry? Worry insults God and defies reality. I wonder, are you a warrior? Not a warrior with an axe and a sword and so on. No, 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 someone who worries a lot. You know, through this pandemic, I think that many people who thought they were pretty even keel and took things in their stride realized that when the heat is really on, they struggle with anxiety. You know, it's hard not to worry about money or to worry about your health or to worry about family or friends or the future in the midst of so much uncertainty. But worry is not a virtue of the follower of Jesus. Worry is not a virtue of the follower of Jesus. It's not something to be proud of. Rather, it's a cancer that spreads. It's something that shrivels our faith. It prevents us from living out our calling to go and make disciples of Jesus, proclaiming the gospel and bringing healing to the world because we get consumed with it and it paralyzes us. So how do we overcome the crippling effects of worry? Well, let's turn to the next section of our passage, and what we'll see is that the second thing is that Christians seek the kingdom of God, not of man. Christians seek the kingdom of God, not of man. Verses 29 through 32. And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock. For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. The power to live above worry is found right here in verse 30. Instead, seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. Anxiety comes when, just like everyone around us, we start to seek the things of this world. And the temptation to do this is so strong. You see, it doesn't matter how much you have, and as Americans, we have a lot We have a lot. There's always the temptation to worry about having enough money, whether you earn $30,000 a year or you earn $300,000 a year. There's always that temptation. But if we seek the kingdom of God, putting our trust in Jesus and working towards its coming through the sacrificial love of others, then we can know that God will provide for all that we need. What we mustn't do is try and have our feet in two different kingdoms. I don't know if you've ever been to Carowinds. Anyone been to Carowinds, the, the theme park? There's a theme park right up there, North Carolina, South Carolina. You can literally stand at Carowinds with one foot in North Carolina and one foot in South Carolina. There's a spot that marks that spot. Well, some of us attempted to do this in this whole area of wealth. Uh, Paul David Tripp explains what this problem is or what the problem is. When it comes to kingdoms, there are only two choices. With every choice, decision, or action, you live out of a heart, a deep heart allegiance to the kingdom of self or the kingdom of God. I'm not saying that you are always conscious of this or that your decisions are intentionally kingdom-driven. What I'm saying is that with everything you do, you are either serving the purposes of God or the desires of self. Which begs the question, whose purposes are you serving? Are they your own or are they God's in this area of money and wealth? And how do you know? 
It's interesting that this teaching in Luke's gospel comes immediately after the parable of the rich fool. We didn't cover it in our series of parables, but it's the one about a man who has more than enough to live on. And he kind of enters early retirement and decides he's going to stockpile even more and more. He's going to build bigger barns and fill them with more and more grain just because he can. He just wants to be able to be completely secure. But then he dies that very night. He dies that very night and he leaves it all behind. Well, one way we can check and see whose purposes we are serving is how are we spending our wealth and take a hard look at our bank accounts. You see, what we'll discover in the next session, section of the passage is this. Christians give generously. Christians give generously. Verses 33 and 34. Jesus says, sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with the treasure in the heavens that does not fail. For uh, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Surely Jesus doesn't mean that Christians should sell all of their possessions and give everything to the needy. It's a bit extreme, isn't it? But by whose standards is that extreme? Is that the world's standards or the kingdom of God's standards? I've only ever met a few people who've done this. But guess what? They had no regrets because God led them to do it and they obeyed. And guess what? He provided everything that they needed after they'd done it. And God may be calling you to do that today. Let's not discount that as out of the realms of belief because in God's kingdom, that is a possibility. But for most of us who follow Jesus, he is not calling us to sell all of our possessions. As in, you can breathe an inward sigh of relief, <sighs> right? <laughs> Leo Morris writes, to produce a class of holy paupers in this way would be to sin against love. For these paupers would become a charge on their neighbors. They'd become a burden, right? However, as needs arise among those around us, we must be willing to sell or to lend or to share what we own and to be generous with all that we have, whether it's our money, our homes, our possessions, our luxuries, our time, our lives. Everything we have must be available to the work of Jesus and to loving those around us. I wonder if you've ever consciously said to God, everything I have, Lord, is yours. Everything I have. You know, we say it each week in here, don't we? All things come of thee, O Lord, and of thine own have we given thee. Right? But have you ever really meant that, Lord? Everything I have is yours. Every last little thing. If you've never done this before in a meaningful way, I would love for you to pray today over all that you own, every last thing, and tell God that you are giving him everything giving it to you, Lord. Use it as you wish. And especially your most treasured possessions, whatever they may be. Lay everything down at his feet so he can use your possessions as he desires. And friends, please note that there are wonderful benefits to doing this, even as we might have some trepidation about it. You see, when we do this, our faith grows enormously as we see God work through us and provide for our own needs. And also, as we see in verse 33, we store up treasure in heaven that unlike earthly goods cannot be taken away from us. Yes, we invest in our eternal future in things that will never be destroyed. So as we come to a close, what we've seen is that, number one, Christians trust in God's provision. Number two, Christians seek the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of man. And number three, Christians give generously out of gratitude for receiving God's grace. 
But what about you? Is any of this news to you? And where's your heart in all of this? I wonder if you have encountered the grace of God, the unconditional love that he offers to all those who will surrender their lives to him, saying, Father, I need you. I repent of seeking my own ways and I turn to you and I ask for forgiveness and I ask for the freedom from sin and death that you offer, the hope of new life, life to the full, right here and right now. You know, in his great generosity, the Father holds nothing back from us. He holds nothing back, not even his only son. As one person put it, here we come to the heart of the Christian message. When the Father gave his son, he gave what we could never repay. The precious blood of Christ outweighs gold and silver. In Christ's sacrifice, we see unconditional love, unadulterated generosity, and thorough self-emptying. The wonder of salvation is that God did not have to save fallen people. He chose to save through his own sacrifice. A father's loss and a son's life. Generosity flows down to us. You see, God practices what he preaches. He doesn't expect us to live in a way that he isn't willing to live himself. So today, will you respond by following his example and living with heartfelt trust in God and generosity toward others? Practically speaking, maybe it's time for you to give away those possessions in that storage unit that you've had sitting in there for years and years, and then to use the money that you save each month to support some local charity that provides for those who've lost everything, perhaps because of this pandemic. Or maybe it's time to keep that car just another few years, and to use the money you save to help a friend whose car keeps breaking down. Maybe it's time to settle for a smaller, older house and use the income that you would have spent on buying a larger house to help the homeless. Or maybe you choose not to buy those grown-up toys, but use the money to support organizations who help children who don't have families to give them toys. Or maybe this year, take a cheaper vacation, so you can use the extra money to support missionaries who travel to distant countries to share the gospel. Or even spend it on yourself, but spend it on doing a mission trip once the borders open up again. And why would you do these things? Why would you do that? Not out of guilt, friends. Please hear that. But out of gratitude for all that God has done for you. God wants us to give generously of our money because it is a fitting response to the generosity that he has shown to us. And because it shows him that we love and we trust him. And when we don't give generously, it reveals that we haven't truly grasped just how much God loves us and how much he's done for us. His grace hasn't affected us on the deepest level and that we don't yet understand the great lengths that God has gone to rescue us from our sin and just how dire the situation was without him. Friends, God who was rich became poor for our sakes so that we might become rich. And those of us who follow him, who've experienced the gracious sacrifice of Jesus, his death upon the cross, he died for you and for me. And so we give because we want to thank him. When we throw a few dollars in the plate, it's the equivalent of a husband who takes his wife to Subway for their anniversary dinner. Or the person who tips the waiter five bucks on a hundred dollar meal. Or the child who never thanks their parents. There's a lack of gratitude for all that's been done for them. 
But it's also the equivalent of the person who can't do a trust fall into the arms of a loved one, or the child who won't jump into the waiting arms of their parent, or the person who can't commit to a marriage relationship with someone who has loved them for years and years. There's a lack of trust that they'll be provided for by the one who already provided for their greatest need. Friends, let's be a people who are transformed by grace to the point where we submit all that we have to him, even our bank accounts, and we give generously to the world around us. As the Christian writer John Lee puts it, we are in the midst of a pandemic and protests, and the church has an opportunity to show the generosity of God to a world that only knows the cynicism of giving and receiving on account of the cruel weight of mammon that reduces people to dollars, cents, and pawns. When the church gives as freely as it has received, pandemics and protests can become portals into a new world where grace is not just preached, but is seen, touched, and lived. I love that phrase. Grace is not just preached, but is seen and is touched and is lived. This is what happens when grace is truly experienced, when we understand that we've been rescued when we couldn't save ourselves. Remember the Samaritan leper last week? He encountered grace and it led to heartfelt gratitude, something that could be seen by others and that we're still talking about 2,000 years later. It had a huge impact. So friends, let's not believe the lie that we need to accumulate more stuff. No, in God's kingdom, the key to having what we truly need is in giving away what we've already been given. This is a fitting response to the grace of God that we can all experience at the foot of the cross. Will you trust him today with all that you have? Will you say, Lord, everything I have is yours to use as you please? He promises his peace and provision in return. Let's pray. Oh Lord, this area of money and wealth and possessions is such a hard, such a hard thing to, to deal with, particularly in the culture we live in, Lord God. You said it's harder for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. And I understand that because I have so much stuff. We have so much stuff, Lord. We love our stuff. And it's easy to make idols of these things. Lord, would you help us to hold them lightly, though, and to say to you, Lord, everything I have is yours. Help us to do that today, Lord Jesus, and to become a more and more generous people, giving away what we have been given, giving away, Lord Jesus, responding to the grace and mercy that you have shown to us on the cross of Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' mighty and powerful name. Amen.